Well, good morning. We as a church, the past several months, have been making our way through the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, known as the Book of Ephesians. And here in the last few weeks, we've come to that section of the letter where Paul really lays out God's design for the family. And so we began by looking at God's design for marriage and the relationship between the husband and the wife. And this morning, we're going to segue to God's design for parenting and the relationship that exists between a parent and a child. Now, it has been said that having a child is a lot like getting a tattoo on your face (laughs) because both require total commitment. (laughs) And anyone in here who has received one of these, these metaphorical facial tattoos knows this statement to be true. And you know there's really nothing quite like being a parent, both in the joy that it brings, but also the heartache and the struggle that accompany it. And while this is a unique and a a special relationship for those of us who are here on, on earth, it is also an extremely significant relationship in the eyes of God. And so we're going to take some time this morning and really unpack and look at what is God's design for this relationship. I remember a a few years ago, my son Elijah was coming upon his fourth birthday, and so Victoria and I asked him, hey, what do you want for your birthday? And Elijah responded by saying, hey, I want to go to the Lego store, and I want to get my first Lego set. Now, while a lot of you out there may be excited by that, I was not. Um, Legos were just not my thing growing up. If I couldn't shoot it or bounce it or throw it or catch it, I typically wasn't interested in it. And so I never made it to the Lego phenomenon. And not only that, I am terrible at building things. Like, completely inept at putting things together. And so there I was, and I received this news, but I think, hey, you know what? This is Elijah's birthday, not mine. So that's what we're going to get. So we go get that birthday present. We go get the fire station Lego set. We come home. We open up the box, and like hundreds of pieces are coming out in the bags, and I'm getting stressed, you know, not feeling very good about this. But then, then the instructions slide out of the box. And so we start building that Lego set together according exactly to the instructions. And as we're building it, I'm looking at the fire station. I'm saying, there's no way this is going to end up looking like that. This is not going to happen. But but we trust it, right? I keep trusting because those those instructions are my connection to the mind of the Creator. It's my connection to the one who designed how we are to build this. So I trust the creator. I trust the design. I trust the process. And about three hours later, we got ourselves a fire station. And we displayed that bad boy for like two days until they utterly destroyed it. (laughs) Never to be built again. But that is beside the point. That's not my point. Here's my point. And this is This is significant. Not only for our text this morning, but this is significant for really all of life. And the truth is this. The point is that God, as our creator, has created all things with purpose and design. And whether it be marriage or parenting, 
or sex or money or our job, whatever the case may be. The fullness of blessing and the fullness of life are found when we live according to God's design. You see, God's design does not only teach us what is moral and good and true, it is the path to the fullness of himself and his blessing. It is for our benefit to live according to God's design. And his word His word is our conduit. His word is where we see his design. It's where he has given us what his design is for life. It is our pathway into the mind and the heart of our creator. And that is significant. And so when we look at our text this morning, starting in verse 1 of chapter 6 in Ephesians, we're going to see what God's design is for the relationship between the parent and the child. And this is where he starts off. In verse 1, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these words. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You see, according to God, the main job of the child is to listen and obey. To listen and obey their parents. It's that simple. And yet just because something is simple does not mean it's easy. Both for the children, because they are sinners, as are their parents. And yet nonetheless, God's design, his perfect design, is that children obey their parents in the Lord. Now what does it mean to obey? Well, the word, the Greek word here literally means to listen with attentiveness and to respond positively to what is heard. It's to listen and obey. And I I love one of our elders, Bill Mitchell. We got breakfast a few months ago, and he's done a lot of research and written on, on kids and parenting, and we were talking about this issue of obedience, and he defined it this way, and I thought it was really powerful. He said, obedience is doing what you are asked when you are asked with a joyful heart. So it's doing what you're asked when you're asked with the right spirit with a joyful heart. One of the essential roles parents are to play in the life of their children is to teach them how to listen and obey. And it's it's vital for two reasons. First of all, children do not come prepackaged for obedience. It's not how they come wired, right? that, That doesn't take you long as a parent to see, whoa, This kid has got some serious issues. And that's because of original sin. That's because we are all sinners. Children are not immune to this. So this is something that does not come naturally. They have to be trained in this. They have to be taught. Secondly, if children and adults for that matter, if they fail to learn how to listen and obey and submit to authority, it will become near impossible to walk intimately with God. And here's why. God is God, and we are not. And that is the foundational truth of our relationship with him, is that he is God, we are not, therefore he is the authority. Our relationship with God is not a democracy. It is a monarchy. And he is the king. And what he says is the law of the land. Before coming on staff at Wayside, I spent seven years 
as a high school teacher and coach at a local public high school. And one of the things I saw as a teacher and coach as I dealt with literally thousands of parents through the years. One of the biggest problems and most damaging things I saw during that time was the number of parents who were more interested in being their kids' friends than being their mother or their father. And while I do not and I did not doubt their love for their kids, that love was misguided. And it ended up creating child after child who lacked any sense of personal responsibility and who did not know how to submit to authority. And because of this, because so many adults refused to be parents, so many of their children refused to become adults. And it was devastating for our school, and it's been devastating for us as a society. Learning to submit and obey authority is a vital component of life and of our spiritual life. And the best place to learn obedience is at home. The best place to learn the importance and the value of obedience is in the house at home. And so while children are commanded to obey their parents, they are also called on to honor their parents. And this is what Paul speaks of in verse 2 and 3. He writes, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. So obedience is the duty, and honor is the disposition. Obedience is the action, honor is the attitude of the child. And to honor one's parents means to show them respect, to love them, to care for them, and to live in such a way that you bring honor to them as their son or daughter. And to further this point, Paul, what he does is he quotes all the way back to Exodus chapter 20. And he, goes, he quotes the Ten Commandments. And the fifth commandment, which is to honor your mother and father. And what's interesting about this commandment is it's the first commandment of the ten that deals with relationships between people. So the first four commandments are mankind's relationship with God. This is the first one that deals with mankind's relationship with one another. And it's to honor your mother and father. And he says that with this, there is, there is blessing. Time and time again, the scriptures articulate that when you listen and obey your parents, you will be blessed. And when you disobey your parents, cursing comes. This is one of the axioms that God teaches us throughout his word. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 1 says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17 says, the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. I've been working on that one with my kids at night <laughs> as we're getting ready for bed. Deuteronomy 27, Moses giving the sermon to the Israelites before they go occupy the promised land. And he says, cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. And this goes on to the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to God. Honoring one's parents is a big deal to God. It's a significant issue to God. 
And while risking the appearance of talking out both sides of my mouth, I do want to add something important here, which is that while honoring your mother and father, honoring your parents is a concept intimately related to obedience. It does not necessarily imply obedience. And let me explain. As I mentioned earlier, parents are imperfect. And sometimes parents can command their child to do something that is categorically against what the Lord has commanded. And we are all called on to submit to the Lord above any human relationship. Now, that doesn't mean if you're 15, don't be a 15-year-old and go to your parents and say, I feel like the Lord has commanded you extend my curfew. It's not what it's talking about here. Okay? But we all submit to the Lord above all else. Secondly, the thing about children is that they tend to grow up. And as they grow up, there comes a time in their life where parents have to start releasing them. And allowing them to make their own decisions. Proverbs 22.6 is a classic one. says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so while the honoring of one's parents is never to change, the way that honor fleshes out does change over time. It does change. I am 35 years old. I am married, and I am a father of three. I have a family of my own, and I do not submit to my parents the same way I did when I was 15 years old living underneath their roof. It's not the same dynamic. There is a leaving, even though I'm still their child, there is a healthy leaving and cleaving process that has taken place. And sometimes when a child grows into adulthood, they have to do their best to honor their parents even when traveling a road, different road than the one their parents wished they would travel. I was reminded of this uh, yesterday. My father's in town, and we were sitting in my living room, and we were talking about this, and we talked about how when I, when I graduated high school, I accepted a scholarship to play baseball here in town at St. Mary's University. And after two years of playing baseball, I felt led by the Lord to leave St. Mary's and transfer to Texas A&M. My father did not whoop when I shared that with him. (laughs) He was not impressed. And you know what? Understandably so. I was on baseball scholarship paying for you. I had loved baseball my entire life. Baseball was a unique part of our relationship. I wanted to be a coach when I graduated. It did not make a ton of sense to leave St. Mary's. And yet the issue was, I genuinely felt led by the Lord that this was the right thing to do. So after talking this through a number of times, one night I came over to my parents' house, and I sat with my dad, and I said, Dad, I want, I love you, and I want to honor you. But here's the deal. I really feel led by the Lord to leave. And so tonight, I want to ask for your blessing, but I'm not here necessarily to ask for your permission. I'll take out loans. I'll have a job. I'll make it work. But, Dad, I feel called to go. And to my father's credit, he realized that I had to live my own life. 
And that there are times you have to let your children make their own decisions. And I remember months later, six months later or so, walking across campus at A&M, and my dad called me out of the blue, and he said, Michael, you were right. I know that you are right where you are supposed to be, and I'm proud of you. And to me, it was just a great example of a son trying to honor his father while walking a path different than the one his father had envisioned. And it was a father recognizing that he needed to let his son chart his own path. And it was a special deal. And so as children, we need to recognize the vital role of the parent to train us up in the way that we should go. And then as a parent, you must recognize that there is a time where you have to let your child go and make their own decision. And I know this is different in every family, and there's different family dynamics, and there's different cultures, and I understand that. And I am not advocating that parents become silent in the lives of their kids. I'm not advocating that you stop speaking into decisions your kids are making when you disagree with them. All I'm saying is this, is that if you are unwilling to allow your children the ability to make real decisions, you will run the risk of leaving them incapable of making decisions or uninterested in soliciting your advice when they do. And neither one of those is good. It is God's design that children honor and obey their parents. And while that may change in terms of how it fleshes out and looks over time, the command to honor does not. And that is is a high calling on the life of a child that never goes away. And it's part of God's perfect design. Which now brings us to verse 4 and his design for the parents. What about the parents? In verse 4, Paul now speaks to the parents directly and specifically to the the fathers. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, one thing that's important to note here is that Paul is writing this letter around 61, 62 AD from Rome. So he's writing... Okay, he's writing under Roman occupation. And one of the things about Rome is that was a culture that gave significant power to the father and very little, if any, to the child. There was something called the the potesta patrias, which is Latin for the power of a father. And in this Roman rule, fathers could do whatever they wanted with their families. They could sell them off. They could have them work in chains. They could even inflict the death penalty on their kids. And certainly this is not what, how all Roman fathers acted, but this is the culture in which Paul is writing this. And so what he does here is really pretty remarkable. He stresses consideration for the feelings of the children. Do you notice that? He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. He's saying, hey, look, it is their job to obey you, but that does not give you the right to parent like a tyrant. You have no right to parent like a tyrant. That's Paul's message here. And Paul addresses fathers because they are God's ordained leaders of the family. Obviously, mothers play a significant role in the bringing up of children, in the training of children, in many times, in many cases, more than the father. 
But, it, I mean, it's a team effort. Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. It is a team effort, but God has called on fathers to lead in this endeavor. And one of the tragedies of our society right now, it's not, it's not, this is not a newsflash, is the lack of present and engaged fathers. The media makes fun of dads. Entertainment promotes buffoons for dads. Feminist movement wants to remove dads and, and basically say they're not necessary. And the results of this on our society have been catastrophic. I mean, just here's some, just a few of the statistics from the U.S. Department of Health. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts from fatherless homes. 85% of youths in prison come from fatherless homes. And I don't cite those statistics to bury us dads in here. I do that because God wants us to know the importance and the significance of the role of a father in the life of a child. And so for those of you in here who are a father or a, a grandfather or a stepfather or an uncle serving as a surrogate father or an older brother, whatever the case may be, you need to understand the incredible responsibility that God has given you in the life of a child. And so we know the damage that comes from a non-existent father or a parent, but what, what is God's message to those who are there? What is his exhortation to the parents who are in the battle and engaged with their kids? And we see this in verse 4, and I really see three key principles connected to verse 4 that help us understand how we are to parent our children. And the first of these is this. The first of these is to refrain from provoking. It says, do not provoke your children to anger. And the word here, provoke, literally means to, to uh, exasperate. It's the idea of getting under your kids' skins, of, uh, of pushing their buttons. And, 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 and one thing that should be understood here also is that even if you were to parent perfectly, according to God's perfect design, you will still exasperate your children. You will still provoke your children to anger because, as I mentioned, they're sinners and selfish just like their parents. We're in that stage of life at our house right now. My middle son, Luke, who's as sweet as all get out. He is a sweet kid, but that dude does not like cleaning up after himself. So he'll play with toys. It's time to wash our hands and get ready for dinner or whatever. I'll say, hey, Luke, hey, man, go ahead and put that up. Go wash your hands. And it's like a medical miracle every single time because he develops incredible abdominal cramps <laughs> every time he gets asked to clean something up. And so I say, Luke, pick that up. He goes, oh, my stomach hurts. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's unbelievable. So even when you parent according to God's design, you're going to provoke your children because they're not perfect. But that's not what Paul is speaking of here. Okay, Paul is not telling us to walk on eggshells so that we don't upset our kids. He's stressing the need for parents to refrain from attitudes and actions that provoke anger and resentment and that are unnecessary. And the types of behaviors that provoke this depend on the child, it depends on the parent, it depends on the stage of life. 
So it varies. But we're going to quickly go through eight. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And the good thing about these is even if you're not a parent, these are things that can be adapted and connect to other relationships in your life. But these are eight that I thought through and prayed through because I saw them as a parent. I mean, I saw them as a a coach. I saw them as a teacher. I experienced them as a child. And unfortunately, I've participated in just about all of them as a parent. And the first of these is this, is unrealistic expectations. And I would say Christian parents are especially guilty of this. As we parent in such a way that our kids, we want our kids to reflect that we have the perfect Christian home which does not exist. And so we sometimes disguise this as calling our kids to excellence. And while calling our kids to excellence is great, unrealistic expectations are not. They're debilitating. And they typically lead to unhealthy views of performance where I've got to perform to merit my parents' love or they lead to rebellion against it because they can't fulfill your expectations. So the first one is unrealistic expectations. The second one is harshness. Parents provoke their children by being harsh. There's a fine line between being firm and being harsh. And what happens is when we cross that line, what was intended for correction leads to exasperation. Because how we do things and the tone in which we say things oftentimes is just as important as what we're actually saying and doing. So that matters. So harshness leads to provoking. Thirdly, there's the issue of neglect. You see, when parents fail to engage their children in a meaningful way, they lose the opportunity and the credibility to speak into their kids' lives in a meaningful way because they're not invested. So you cannot outsource parenting. You can't do that. And neglect is a surefire way to lead to conflict. Fourthly, on the opposite side of neglect, there's the failure to provide freedom. Now, we've already discussed this a bit earlier. But if, how are your kids going to learn how to discern the leading of God if you're discerning it for them every step along the way? They never get to flex their spiritual muscles. They never get to work out. And so you as parents have to thoughtfully and wisely, and it's not the same for every kid. It depends on their maturity. This is not black and white. But you have to find ways to provide freedom because if you suffocate them, that leads to exasperation and being provoked. Fifthly, parents provoke their children when they fail to provide grace. Look, life is hard. Can you imagine being a kid in today's day and age? It's insane. Life is hard, and they are going to make mistakes. And if they never receive grace from their parents, how in the world can they possibly conceive and believe in the grace of God? And what happens is the gospel becomes this Sunday morning charade instead of an everyday reality. And the kids come to resent you, the church, and even the Christ along the way. Sixthly, parents provoke through comparison. Comparison is the thief of joy. 
And comments like, why can't you be like your brother? Or why can't you be more like your sister? Or why can't you be more like Billy are not helpful. Those are words that wound and that resonate in the hearts of your kids. So don't go there. Seventh is the failure to celebrate, the failure to celebrate accomplishments. Some parents don't do this because they don't want their kids to get a big head or they don't want them to get cocky about what they're doing. So they say, we're not going to celebrate accomplishments. And I think that is crazy, utterly crazy. Parents must find something to celebrate in their kids. You see, kids, and everybody for that matter, are constantly asking two questions. And those two questions are, do you love me and am I good enough? Do you love me and am I good enough? And so we have to find ways to affirm. When they do something kind, celebrate it. When they do something well, celebrate it. When they work hard at something and they fail, celebrate it. Celebrate how hard they worked and the effort they gave. Don't underestimate the power of encouragement and the pain that can come from a lack thereof, especially when it comes to parents. Finally, parents are to avoid inauthentic representations of themselves. Unrealistic expectations are not helpful, and inauthentic representations of themselves are not helpful. It's not good to present yourself as perfect in front of your kids. Because here's why. Number one, it's not true. And number two, they know it's not true. They're not stupid. My kids know that dad is a sinner. We're not going to try to hide that from them. It's, It's a real thing. And so children don't need perfect parents. They need parents who do their best by the power and the grace of God to parent them and who admit when they fall short and admit their shortcomings and through that point to the one who covers their imperfections through their perfect sacrifice on the cross. That's what we are to do. So parents are to refrain from provoking their children. And secondly, parents are to engage in godly discipline and instruction. It says, do not provoke your children anger, but bring them up. The word here is to nurture. To nurture them in discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see, when discipline is done correctly, it is not the absence of love, but the evidence of it. It's actually the evidence of love. God disciplines those whom he loves, and we as parents are to discipline those we love and to discipline them out of our love. And not only are we to discipline them when they go outside God's design, but we are to constantly instruct them on what God's design is and why it is good. There's a great passage in Deuteronomy 6. Like I said, Moses' sermon to the Israelites before they head into the promised land, and, and he hits it on the head. This is what he says. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. Now look at verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. 
You see, it's not enough to just discipline our kids when they get out of line. We must take the time to tell them why. We must instruct them on what it is that God has said, what it is that God has done, what it is that God will do, and who it is that God, what is God like? What is he like? We have to do more than just teach them what not to do. We have to teach them who God is because he is amazing. He's marvelous. And we get to teach them about that. And when we raise children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, we're able to create boundaries in which they are to operate in God's design. We are to lovingly correct them and bring them back into that design when they err. And we are able to give them a foundation of why it is they are to live that way. And that's a powerful thing and a tremendous responsibility. So parents are to refrain from provoking. They are to engage in instruction and discipline. And thirdly, through it all, they are to lead with love. Many people read 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings, but that, that passage has much more to do with just more than just weddings. It's, it has to do with love. And verse 1 says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You see, whether it be instruction or discipline or encouragement or correction, at the end of the day, we as parents are called to love our children in such a way that the love of God is on display. We are called to love our children in such a way that the love of God is on display. I'm really thankful that my job at Wayside gives me a little bit of flexibility to take my oldest son, Elijah, to school in the morning. He is a kindergartner. And so when we get to school, I go inside with him. And I go to the corner of the school and I sit on a bench so we can get eye to eye. And I look at him and I say, Elijah, today choose. And he says, joy. I say, that's right. And I say, Elijah, have. And he says, courage. I say, that's right. And I say, Elijah, honor. And he says, God. I said, that's right. And then I look at him and I say, Elijah, Do you have any idea what would happen to your dad if I loved you more than I do? And he said, your heart would explode. (laughs) And I look at him and I say, into a thousand pieces. And then I hug him and he goes to class. And look, Elijah is six. And I'm well aware that there's going to come a time where that's not going to be a very cool thing to do anymore. But I tell you what he's always going to want. He is always going to want to know that he is loved by his dad. He will always want to know that. He will always want to know that each and every day he gets to function in the love of his father. And my hope is that I, as an imperfect earthly father, can somehow point him and reflect the love of his perfect Heavenly Father. You see, parents are to refrain from provoking. They are to discipline and instruct in the Lord, and they are to lead with love. Now, as I, as I close this morning, I just want to be really transparent. I know a text like this and a message like this makes us all feel like complete failures as parents. So maybe you're someone whose kids have grown up and they're gone, and you're like, I'm a failure. 
Or maybe you're someone who's in the midst of it right now and you're like, I'm a double failure. Whatever the case may be, the reality is that I am right there with you. There is no area of my life where I feel more inadequate than the realm of parenting. I think parenting is extremely hard. And my sin is on display for my kids in a way that is utterly humiliating to me. And I definitely have spent time in my life wondering how my sin patterns are going to affect my kids. Because I know that they will. And this is just a humbling thing for us as parents. And so in the midst of that, I just want to close with an encouragement. And the encouragement is this. The same God who perfectly designed the family is the same God who's in complete control of it. God is in control of your kid's life, and God is sovereign over your life. And he is much better and much more faithful than we are. He is. And the reality, to be honest with you, the reality is that godly parenting still does not even guarantee godly kids. And we can look at that in Scripture. And we can all name somebody in our life, I bet. Maybe it's you. Who you love the Lord, but whose kids do not. And that is painful. That is a painful thing to experience. There's no doubt about it. But God's message is not that you are a failure. God's message is that his grace is sufficient. And that he is near to the brokenhearted. And that he cares for you in the midst of that. Parenting and obedience to God's design is our gift to him. Salvation is his gift to give. Salvation is his gift to give. And I cannot save my kids any more than I could save myself. I'm completely dependent upon the grace of God. And when you think about your failures and then you also think about your desire to control your kids because you love them, that lack of control is an incredibly difficult pill to swallow. But it is in times like that, times of discomfort, that I think of Jesus on the cross. I really do. I know that's a Sunday school answer. But it's the real deal. I think of Jesus on the cross, and I'm reminded of how when it comes to our Father in heaven who loved us so much that he would not spare his own son, I can most certainly trust him with mine. I can trust him with mine. And so can you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger. Engage them and godly discipline and instruction, and through it all, lead with love, and then trust in our faithful and our good God to complete that which he began. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we just confess that life is hard, and that parenting is hard, and that we've all had moments as parents where we've just felt like, I'm a disaster. And God, we thank you for your word that consistently teaches us that we are right before you, not because we are great at anything, because you are perfect in everything. 
And if there's anybody in here this morning who doesn't know you, Lord, who's been writing down notes saying, man, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better mom. I want to be a better father. Would they first come to know you as their heavenly father? Would they first come to understand that it's not by being perfect that they get right with you. It's by, by knowing and putting their faith in the perfect one who came on our behalf. And so, God, we thank you that in the mess of our lives, you came and entered in. And you took on flesh as the God-man, Jesus Christ, and you lived the perfect life here on this earth. You willingly went to the cross. You died on that good Friday for the sin of the world. You were buried. And three days later, you rose from the dead, conquering death, conquering sin, calling us into relationship with you by faith. And you say that if we will place our faith in you, our sins will be forgiven. We will be restored in relationship to you now and forevermore. And your very spirit will come to live inside of us and will conform us into the image of the Son. And we get to parent and be children with your very presence inside of us. So God, thank you for your gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of the family. Thank you for the gift of children. Thank you for the gift of parenting. And may we as a church parent and steward the resources and the gifts that you and the children you've given to us in such a way that you would be glorified above all else. And we pray this in the name of our Savior. Amen.